and welcome to The Jerick Show. I'm Javad Malik, as always, and we have got a great show for you today. We have a very special guest who once tried to host a B-side on a cruise ship. We talk about the FBI patching your exchange server and why estate agents um, don't really understand OSINT. That's all coming up on today's show. Welcome to The Jerick Show. Featuring your hosts, Javad Malik and Eric Krohn. Timely topics, poorly presented. Hello, everybody. Eric, you're back. You're not dead. How's it going? I I'm mostly dead. Um, for our listeners slash followers out there on the YouTubes and or our uh, wonderful podcast, um, I am currently at home with my wife, uh, quarantined for COVID. So I'm not dead yet. Um, but I'm hanging on by a thread. But I care enough to be here for you, our viewers and listeners. Wow, that's that's so considerate of you. You like that? Sorry yeah. for your poor wife having to be in quarantine with you first, being ill, and then <laughs> in the quarantine with you. <laughs> anyway, um, we have a fantastic guest today, Mr. Derek Thomas. Welcome to the Jarrett Show. How are you doing? Hey, yes. Oh, pretty good. Thanks for uh, the invite. Excellent. No worries. No worries. So um, you, your Twitter ID, I see, is B-Sides Tampa. Is, is is that something you're involved in? <laughs> yeah, that's what I do from time to time, you know, when nothing's good on TV. So, yeah, it keeps me entertained. <laughs> Derek doesn't tell you he hasn't seen a TV show in like five years <laughs> because of it. So <laughs> that's all he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything's on demand. It's like, all right, this is a nice show. Like, I, I'm just watching Star Wars now for the first time. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've known Derek for a, a number of years now um, as he's been uh, putting together the, the wonderful B-Sides Tampa show here, um, which is fantastic. And, and if you know me, you know, I'm a huge, huge fan of B-Sides, um, having been to uh, a lot of B-Sides. Um, one of the beautiful things about our job, Javad, is we get to travel, right? So I've probably been to, I, I'm guessing, at least two dozen different B-Sides now um, across the nation, which is really cool. Um, but it's awesome to have a big one right here on our own backyard. So that's uh, that's where I got to know Derek from, is from that back in my ISC squared days, uh, back when I was just a schmuck there trying to uh, trying to do right in the world. Yeah, we also have how that worked out. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> here I am now, right? <laughs> so I think it's a step up. Happy days. All right. So, Javad, what do we have for what do we have for stories today? We got some interesting ones. I think these are going to be fun. These are going to be fun. Let's go straight for the jugular today. <laughs> and uh, the FBI, uh, which I assume operates slightly different than uh, any of our services here on this side of the pond in the civilized world. Uh, they've been doing a, a service. They've been uh, finding, you know, exchange servers with with shells on it, going in and fixing them for people. And um, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You or know, what? I I think we've just resolved the whole cybersecurity professional shortage right here. We'll just have the FBI, maybe the CIA can come in or NSA. They're willing to help us out, right? Everyone's willing to to hook us up by coming in and taking care of our security problems for us. I mean, what else could we ask for, right? Isn't that what the government's for? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's kind of creepy, but it's kind of cool, though, because a lot of times, a lot of big companies, yeah, they know to get rid of some of this stuff, but then you have, 
Well, even large companies, they don't, they may not even realize they have these servers out there. They have these shells on it. And at least somebody's being proactive because the FBI could probably email them for 20 times and they probably wouldn't even fix it. So, you know, I guess it comes down to like, okay, well, somebody has to fix it. So let me just jump in there and do it. But, but you get into the whole, like, is it really their job? And yeah. what got me is this is under the premise of a search warrant. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, when I see search warrant, I don't think of, I'm going to come in and look, you know, I think of, I'm going to come in and look around for stuff, but I don't think of, I'm going to come in and look around for stuff. And while we're at it, you know, while we're searching your home, I'm going to go ahead and repair your broken microwave. And, you know, that door is squeaking a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to oil the hinges and, you know, this is not something that is normal in my opinion with the search warrant. Yeah. Oh, I, I kind of wonder like, what are the limitations? Because, are they just doing it for vendors that are directly working with government entities or just random people? They like, ah, you know, Joe Blow Incorporated, let me go fix yours. So, yeah, I can, I can understand them saying that, OK, well, we have to fix these because you do direct business with the federal government. So, yeah, under our terms of uh, terms of conditions, et cetera, we, we can justify that way. But just randomly going out and fixing them. Yeah. Unless you're Santa Claus, you, you really shouldn't be sneaking into anyone's equipment. Yeah. <laughs> and make yeah, it changes. Yeah. Well, what we got here is the FBI is now attempting to alert server owners that it removes shells from. So mm -hmm. they weren't even telling people. No. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is the thing. I think, it, A, it sets a really bad precedence for the future because while this might be a simple fix that you can get away with doing without ruining anything, um, if you try and do it on some complex environments, uh, whose liability is it if you end up screwing up a production system or, or exposing customer data in, in, in the process? Uh, secondly, who's to stop the FBI from planting their own backdoors in these uh, under the guise of fixing uh, another backdoor? And, you know, it's not beyond government agencies to do it. So I think there, there's that lack of oversight and the lack of transparency that that is uh, that is quite concerning in this regard. Yeah, I mean, who's coordinating the reboots on this, right? <laughs> Not that it takes a <laughs> reboot, but, you know, half the time you have to stop and start services. Who's coordinating that, right? Um, I mean, this is just, this to me is is honestly just like overstepping bounds. And I get that, yes, it's a problem, but is it a government problem? And to your point, Derek, if it's not a government, if it's not an entity that's dealing with the government directly, that puts the government itself at risk directly. And I'm not talking about, you know, seven layers deep in the supply chain because they, you know, they provide cardboard boxes for the shipping. I'm talking about like immediate sort of concern to the U.S. government. Th this just seems to me like it's it's just a nasty direction to be heading into. Um, but, you know, uh, it, it is what it is. And what do you do about it? Who do you go to complain about this? You know, I guess your, your Congress people or, or whatever. You know, and, uh, you know, you'll get on the list. Um, you know, you're going to have that new tab on, on the Google on your machine. It's, uh, you know, this is what the FBI is holding on to. Uh, questions from the FBI to refine your, your your search. I don't know. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, I also wonder, like, what, it, what, it, what happens if they find something that, you know, comes to their attention? Like, okay, you're logged in my server. You found a folder that says child porn on it. You can't ignore it. But you also legally can't report it either. So what do they do? You know, do they just say, oh, oh, well, you know, we didn't see it. Just ignore it. So, yeah, this this opens up a whole Pandora's box of questions and legal issues. Well, and it doesn't even have to be as deep as that, but it could be, you know, 
um, some finances that they they suddenly get interested in, and they're kind of going, "Hey, you know, here's the there's a folder called the clean books, you know." <laughs> well, hey, you know, we should yeah. go look at that. Or, um, yeah, it, it's it's I don't know. I think it's pretty pretty crazy. Javad, would something like this ever happen in the UK? Do you think? I'd like to say no, but it's <laughs> <laughs> already been happening. So. Yeah, I think, I think just pr primarily because of the extensive privacy laws and the the, the right, <laughs> excuse me, the individual protections that, that we have, I think it's less likely. And uh, over here, like the NCSE is the, the uh, National Cybersecurity Centre, is uh, the the, sort of the the cyber arm of the government, and they they're far better in liaising with uh, organisations. They have a, a very strong public-private relationship that that's there, and so I think it's 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 perfectly fair for an organisation like that to scan and to find vulnerabilities, and then have a process in place to work with the organisation, and also maybe with Microsoft, with whom that organisation does have a contract for support and uh, and and to push updates in a, in a legit way, in, in an organized way. So I think there, there needs to be that sort of um, uh, sort of cooperation in place because uh, the, the I mean, Microsoft is the one that I, I haven't seen mentioned really in this story, like what their role was or were they asked whether they could go and fix this or whether they, you know, they could do something about it because, you know, it's their product. It's their they're responsible for maintaining it. In uh, you know, well, the, the code base for it and what have you. So, um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of other avenues that should have been or could have been explored prior to just kicking down the doors like the old Sammy Sam and like well, I'm here to dispense justice, boys. Well, as I understand it, Javad, um, what they're doing is they've been calling people and saying, hey, this is Microsoft, and you have a virus on your computer. <laughs> and it just occurred to me, this is like that scam, right? <laughs> hey, we're Microsoft. We're here to help you, right? Yeah. People are going, yeah, report that one. Report yeah. that one. <laughs> and it's yeah. the FBI going, come on, guys. Really? No, no, really. We're here to help. <laughs> yeah. Again, you say that as a joke, but really, there must be these call centers gearing up saying, you know, we need to call up these organizations and say we're from the <laughs> We recently patched yeah. you, and now you owe us $500 for, for patching you. Um, There's a batch load of emails going out right now, just, you know, addressing these CTOs and CIOs with, like, yeah, uh, payment from Microsoft fix from yeah. FBI. <laughs> Can you imagine getting something like that? Like, no, 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 really, this really is the FBI. We really went into your server and fixed the story. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, it just made me think of that because that, that scam's been around for so long and we always say, they will never contact you and they don't care if you have a virus. We were wrong. We can't say that anymore. Yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what's our next one, Javad? So the next one is uh, a little less intense. It's uh, uh, something on the on the slightly smaller scale. It's um, uh, an estate agent in the UK. Um, they... Um, uh, a lot of them do these 3D virtual tours now where they go in with a 360 camera, they take a lot of pictures, and then you can, like, virtually go through the house because, you know, COVID. And um, uh, they they published one of these. And um, first off, like like, like we, we mentioned before we started recording, the person who put their house up for sale uh, didn't bother cleaning up at all. I don't know what, what would possess someone to just leave their house in the state. 
Uh, and then the photographer that went around from the estate agent didn't really bother like saying to them, hey, do you mind putting away anything and just happily clicked away all the pictures. And uh, in that there was, um, there was some data, private data that had quote unquote slipped past its staff <laughs> and the homeowner. Um, Brilliant, yeah. Uh, it included share dividend check and insurance policy document, an invoice for a stair lift, some family photos that'd be left unblurred. Um, you know, it's yeah, it, 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 in, in the big scheme of things, it's not like the FBI, but it's uh, it, it's I think it's a good reminder that you know we all have a part to play in in security these days and and this information is just so freely available it's not like it used to be in the old days where you had to go to physically to your local estate agent and they would give you a printed brochure of houses for sale or anything like that this is like publicly available uh you can correlate that with the location of the house Google Maps will give you a nice oversight of that. You can look on social media for other photos. So you can build up a really big comprehensive profile of who these people are and, and what they do and all, all sorts of things. And uh, this information can then be used for like, you know, hey, let's take out a mortgage on behalf of these people or or, or anything like that. So um, I, I think it's, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's just a good reminder like everyone has their part to play and everyone is responsible in in building that that security chain because any weak part can can undo you i mean you could have like the best edr in the, in the world you could have the best sim in the world you could have the best next-gen firewalls in the world but if someone's going in there taking a the picture and posting it to a website it's not really going to help yeah and these were in like ultra high res right <laughs> if we can add yeah. an effect to that later that would be awesome uh, but no <laughs> you get the idea i mean these were like ultra high resolution 3d um where you could zoom right in and like see the text on this and for our american viewers let me uh, explain something to you estate agents over there are what we call real estate agents not the people that sell off your estate when you kick the bucket Okay, so it's a different thing. Um, but these are real estate agents in the US side um, uh, here. But yeah, you know, it's cool that the technology is there that we can go through and do this, you know, and it started off with the simple like, someone sticks a camera in the middle of a room on a tripod, and it does a 360. So you can go in that room. And you can do a quick 360. But it's really expanded to so much more where it really is like a virtual walkthrough. But yeah, I mean, when you have Neanderthals like this that leave everything laying out, I mean, this is why in, in offices we have a clean desk policy, right? And so we've talked about some of the, the issues with working from home and the added issues with that. And this is one of them is not having a clean desk policy at work, right? Um, but we have to think about this as these new technologies come on uh, and they're being used what are we, you know, what are we at risk of? And they did say that they told them to put everything away, et cetera, et cetera. But they obviously didn't, you know, these are people out to sell homes. These are not privacy experts necessarily that should go, that should be expected to go through every frame, zoomed way in and see it. But they need to make sure that everybody understands what's going on and take at least reasonable precautions. I don't know if we consider this reasonable precautions when there's a pile of stuff on the desk. I get it. The kids, you know, pictures and or um, there was a photo frame with like the dog's name, which is oftentimes used for a password reset, right? Um, that was out there. And, and I don't expect them to see that. But things like, I mean, financial statements and stuff like that, 
probably should be in your handbook and saying, you know, this is not good. If you're going to be putting them up, you need to be looking at that. Yeah. What do you think, Derek? Well, the thing that surprised me is that it's not clean. It's like, it looks like a really bad Craigslist ad or like police photos of a murder scene, <laughs> something, a preview for the next episode of First 48. Um, but um, it, and I was also laughing. I, I look at the sidebar here. It says, why, why, Australian, why Australia is in hysterics over Navy twerking. So yes, <laughs> I have ADD. Sorry, I just look at everything. Um, but I guess this also goes to show that how um, when new technology comes out, everyone's in a rush to get it and adopt it. But you know, we probably should not be in as much of a rush to adopt new technology because something simple as taking photos and posting them online, um, you may want to actually look at that and okay, maybe implement some type of OCR or some type of uh, character recognition software that will actually look for things such as pictures, automatically blur them out instead of leaving it up to the uh, user to actually do it themselves. Because yeah, it, it could have probably avoided a lot of this, but like I said, because it's new technology, we have to have the nice, bright, shiny things. All right, well, this is what happens sometimes. Yeah, and with the cameras being so high res, I mean, if you think about it, like just, just our cell phones here have, you know, 20 billion, you know, freaking pixels. I mean, it's just insane these days. It's not like the old days where, you know, where we first started off with the webcams and dial up and you were lucky to see like a moving pixelated block on there. You know, it was, it was kind of like, you know, when you were a kid trying to watch the other cable channels by, you know, having it halfway tuned or something, you know, I mean, we're not in those days now. We we're talking about incredibly good graphics from even something as simple as putting one of these on a tripod and having it spin around the, just the sheer resolution we're talking about these days is, is incredible. Yeah. Well, and like the point that you made earlier about um, security is not just the, um, manufacturer's responsibility. It's also the consumer's responsibility. They have to take some responsibility into making sure it's secure, such as, uh, yeah, because you can take these high resolution photos, check what's in the background or try to secure a camera, et cetera. So yeah, you, you can't really blame the software manufacturer or whoever created the application itself. Eh, that's probably the consumer who should have done a better job at, you know, okay, let me make sure I clean my desk off or do whatever. Or even the agents that are charging for the service of listing your home and using this technology. What do you think, Javad? Yeah, I agree. I mean, what I was just thinking of was that uh, what, uh, these photos are such high resolution, yet every time you see a criminal activity and like the CCTV, <laughs> <laughs> it's like graining and pixelated. It looks like a Minecraft Steve walking yeah. across. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it'd be like that. It'd be like Nest Home video when someone's like stealing the packages. I'm like, okay, well, these videos do nothing. I can't really recognize anybody. I could just say, okay, well, that package is missing. Someone stole it. That's about it. So, but these photos are crystal clear. I can see like almost birthmarks and pictures here. So, but yeah, maybe they can get that outside. That's amazing. I'm still. I'm surprised you saw that as you were fixated <laughs> on the Navy twerking by the Australians. <laughs> we have a colleague that's in Australia. Yeah, we have a colleague in Australia. We need to ask her about that, Javad. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be googling that after the show. <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. It's it is funny, but here's the deal. And and I'm going to swing this back around and make it security related. But that's some clickbait right there. 
That's the psychology <laughs> behind clickbait and it works, right? It got your attention and now you're curious. Uh, um, damn it. <laughs> yeah. There's this whole thing. It's called the information. <laughs> nice. It's called the information <laughs> gap theory. Um, and basically what they do is they give you a little bit of information, but they don't give you the, the, the rest that you would need to know. And it's very compelling for us to go out and do that. I talk about that in some of my social engineering talks, um, the information gap theory, but it works. It's amazing. Here we are. Look at that. They got a <laughs> click out of us. Wonderful. <laughs> you know, this is the BBC and, um, it just to give you some international context. There are three bits of story. There are only three categories of story we're interested in. Prince Philip, coronavirus, and a massive bucket of nothingness. Everything else is like B-roll stuff. Yeah, I thought you were done with Brexit anyways, man. But here we are. Brexit is kind of like herpes. It never really goes away. It's just hides. Like you guys must have been left like a year or two ago, weren't you? <laughs> you would think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They were all excited. And the Scottish, <laughs> I think, are still trying to figure out how to get out of this mess oh, up too, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I have a couple of friends in Ireland who've been complaining about that. It's like, uh, it's the opportunity to break away from the UK. I'm like, oof. <laughs> hey, you know. <laughs> All right. So um, having said that, Derek, you know, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, some of the stuff today because as we've gone into the COVID thing, um, there's been a lot of new conferences pop up. I've seen a lot of new ones out there. Um, and virtual is one thing too, but, you know, you've been in, in, in charge of, of B-Sides Tampa since basically the dawn of time as far as I can tell. Um, uh, like I said, I got my 2014 shirt in the closet still um, from where I was I was first at that. Um, but building a conference is a much bigger deal than a lot of people think it is. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and, and see just kind of your insights to this and some of the uh, the things that you didn't expect. So let's start with that. You know, you started uh, B-Sides Tampa back in 20 something, 13. right? 13. Yeah. Okay, so 2013. And, you know, when you first started that, what what was the biggest thing you think that you expected but didn't happen or totally didn't expect, right? Like, what was the biggest surprise when it came to putting together your first in-person conference back then? Um, well, um, when we initially decided to throw on B-Site Camp conference. It wasn't just me. It was also our co-founder, Lori Brown. Um, she went to B-Sides NOLA, and one of our chapter members went to a B-Side, I think in Atlanta someplace, and they came back and said, hey, won't you guys consider uh, doing a B-Side? So I reached out to the B-Side folks and Jack Daniels, and we started talking, and he said, well, if you're interested in doing it, won't you guys there's a couple other person. There's one other person who's interested in doing a B-side conference in Tampa. Why don't you reach out to her? It's like, oh, who is it? It's like, oh, it's Lori Brown. It's like, oh, yeah. we, we happen to work together during that time. So I just walked down the hallway like, hey, let's do B-side. That's easy. So, hey, it came to agreement. Um, now, one of the things that we thought about, but uh, one of the big things we thought about that didn't come through um, was probably the audience size. So when we did our first B-side conference, well, we thought that it would be a lot easier. We thought that everyone would be barking at our door to host it there. Not the case. Um, as soon as you tell any organization, any uh, resort, hotel, et cetera, you're going to invite, yes, you, me, and a couple hundred computer hackers there, 
we we got kicked out a lot of places because of that. As soon as they hear about who's coming, they're like, well, we have to cancel this contract. And that happened about three times uh, during our, our whole entire thing here. Um, also, the crowd, we are expecting, oh, we just open up and the crowd will show up. Uh, it's not really the case. Uh, we And the first year we did for free. So we thought that, oh, and we had like maybe 2,000 people register for the conference, which is a ridiculous amount for the first year. Um, but the, we had a no-show rate around, I guess, 30 to 45%. Um, and that was because it was free. One thing we found out that was there's a perceived value. If people see anything that's for free, they don't perceive a value when they say they don't show up. They register for it and they don't show up. And that affects you because we've told our sponsor we're expecting this many people. We provided free lunch and food and swag to order a whole bunch of stuff. I still have that's why I don't have to do laundry because I still have a lot of shirts or first shirt I just put on and wear whenever I want to. Um, so yeah at that first year we uh, we got a better idea of you know why people didn't show up, uh, why there's such a drop in the number of registered registered versus people who attended and how to make adjustments from there. But yeah, um, thinking that mm. everyone will welcome you with open arms and thinking that the crowds will show up, those are the two of the biggest things that we thought that would easily happen, but didn't occur necessarily. That's interesting. When I was with ISC squared, um, I was over, you know, Congress as a director of member relations over Congress and our series of what we, uh, like security, um, conferences, the, just the small ones we had, right. That, that ran across the country. Um, and they were just rather small ones and they were always free. But what we found is just like you said, there was a lot of no shows on the free stuff. So we would have all these, uh, these people register, but not, not come. And so, you know, we figured out they don't have any skin in the game at that point, right? They're just, oh, I'll register, no big deal. And then everyone else is going, okay, well, we need a bigger room or something like that. Now, what we found is by just giving it like a token price, honestly, we started charging like five bucks or something. Uh, for the conference, it made a huge difference in our no-show numbers because now they're like, oh, well, I'm committed. I'm, I'm five bucks into this thing, yeah. you know, which blows my mind on, on some of these conferences like this, because if you think about what you pay to go to the big conferences and the information that you get from those compared to like B-sides, which is why I'm such a huge fan, you know, you're 20, 30 bucks or something into a B-sides and you have a full day or more of really good content coming to you. It just blows my mind that people don't go to those um, when there's no charge for them, especially, or even a low fee. Um, so we we kind of saw the same thing. And like I said, we made a big difference by just charging a, a tiny little amount so mm -hmm. that people now had their uh, their skin in the game on that. Um, but when, when we started uh, increasing, the, uh, the second year we charged a nominal fee, and we started seeing the no-show rates drop. And then every year we kind of raise it just for the cost of inflation, et cetera. And around like the fourth year, we realized we sold out. So we were like, okay, well, so yeah. we'll raise the price again. Maybe we have some extra. And every time we raise the price, we sell out. So, you know, it's a matter of perceived value. And like I said, if whenever we had free things, even with our training classes, a lot of our instructors who want to do training classes for free, I'm like, don't do that. Charge $5 or something. But if you don't charge anything, people are going to register, not show up. And when they do, it, they're sold out immediately. Yeah. And I wanted to take a real quick point um, and, and give a shout out to Lori because Lori is awesome 
Um, she is just an awesome person. And, you know, maybe we have her on here at some point in time in the future too, but, um, Lori is fantastic. Uh, she really is. And I know the two of you have done so much work on this. Now, Javad, you had some involvement in B-Sides London in the past, didn't you? That's right. Yes. So, um, this was back in 2011. We'd done our first B-Sides in London and, uh, that was, that was an interesting time because there was, no real options for conferences here in London or in the UK as a whole at that time. Um, there was just Infrasecurity Europe, which was every year, and that was more of a trade show. It wasn't really a, a conference or an event where you'd go to exchange ideas. You'd go there to pick up free USBs. So, um, <laughs> so I think it was in 2010, there was uh, Matt Summers. He, he, came, he went to the US. I think he went to uh, B-Sides Vegas, and he met Jack and everything, and and uh, he said, "Oh, this is a great concept. We need to do it over here." So we um, so we formed this or, or original board, and uh, we we five of us, and we sort of like you know, I, I I'd give Matt most of the credit. He done most of the work. He done um, he put a lot of stuff on his personal credit card because we weren't sure how much um, sponsorship we're going to get or not get. But we we done the first one really on the cheap. It was a community centre in East London. Uh, so it was like two floors. It was just like you just get the, the venue. And then we we, we were able to get a, a, a sponsor to to get packed lunches for everyone, like a little box with a sandwich and a drink and some crisps or what have you. Um, but honestly, it was like three, four hundred people showed up, which way blew past our expectations um, uh, because there was just no options. And I think people were just craving that community and for for us here it was the first time we actually a lot of the people in the uk actually met face to face for the first time so um it was such a great event and it just grew from from there year on year so we we didn't have any of the similar challenges i don't think hotels were over here or venues over here have been exposed to like oh my god those hackers are going to come in and break everything (laughs) uh, we're a lot more civil over here than uh, than uh (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, we you don't... drink your tea with your pinky yeah. out, right? So it makes all the difference. <laughs> but, but it is a but it is a fantastic thing seeing this this grow. Now nowadays it's like it's over a thousand people, and um, you know it's it's at that point where you think, oh, this it feels almost a bit too big now. Like you know when conferences get a bit too big, they you start losing that community feel. I think that's a balancing act that you you always need to worry. But I, I mean, I was involved in the in the organisation for the two years, and then I was like, this is a lot of work. And <laughs> um, and and also what what we decided early on was that we would try to rotate every few years. Like at least one person would leave and give opportunity for someone else from the community to join. So it becomes a community event as opposed to oh, this is only. X, Y, and Z's event, um, which is great in theory, but I also think, you know, it, it's hard to find people that are willing to put in the the effort year on year. So yeah. for the last five, six years, there's been a few core people that have been running it who've been doing a, a great job, but it's, it's immensely rewarding. But I, I think it, you're, you're right. It's people just so underestimate the amount of work and time and effort it, it takes to put on a good show. Yeah. We've mentioned cost a couple of times here, right? Like you were talking about people putting things on credit cards. One of the biggest things that was a, a shocker for me when I went to work for ISC Squared and I started dealing with Congress and stuff like that was the cost of things at these venues. You know, we talked about a little bit before here, but you know, you're talking a hundred or 150 bucks literally for a gallon of hot water so people can make tea. 
you know, cans of soda, five to $7 for a single can of soda. And, you know, they have all these things built into the contract where you can't just back up your own truck full of pizza and start throwing it out there. You have to go through them. And in some places, you know, we found that everything was unionized, which made it even more interesting because, you know, here in the U.S., our unions are are, are interesting where, for example, you can't carry your own box of like brochures to your uh, to your table across the show floor. No, that must be done by a union employee, you know, and you're like, really? So you got to wait for somebody to come do it. And, you know, it was very, very complicated and really, really more expensive than I ever thought it would be. I mean, Derek, have you, have you run into that in some of your venues? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of times we'll get people who make suggestions because similar to uh, what Javid said, when we first started ours, we tried to find the lowest location so it's all community centers or colleges and like that somewhere where it's fairly cheap we always have people like well we should have it downtown or some big hotel etc and i tell people like you don't realize how much it costs you know um just by having a large they can easily run you around thirty thousand dollars just for one day at the hotel just for a couple of rooms that's not considering the food or anything like that that's just or uh, all the other miscellaneous that they charge you for, like, oh, you need internet? We got to charge for that. You want to lay tables? You can't do it. Like you say, you can't do it yourself. You have to have hire someone else to do it. Um, you want to have packages shipped to the hotel? We have to hold it and charge for that. So it can get really expensive. And I've seen like horror stories from other folks who get B-side conferences where they said that they had the, they're personally on the hook for thirty or $40,000 um, because – a, when they did it, they want to do it for free. They thought that, okay, well, the sponsors will help pay for it. And that doesn't always work. The sponsors may not, the amount of sponsors you're expecting may not always come. Um, so they're on the hook. And uh, yeah, uh, sponsors, I love our sponsors, but you know, you have to have some limitations with them because they will push as much as they can. So I wouldn't want to base my whole conference on what the sponsors are going to do or pay for. And they did, and it came up and bite them in the rear. But yeah, it it's very, very, very expensive. And if you start off at at a high where you're saying you're at a large hotel, there's no way you can sustain that. You're going to eventually crash and burn. Yeah. Mm. So interesting thing uh, Eric mentioned to me before we started recording is that you, Derek, I think at one point were considering doing a B-Sides on a boat. Because mm -hmm. uh, uh, is it true you're a Steven Seagal fan and that you saw Under Siege? You had the cake planned out and the whole nine yards. Yeah, yeah. it's like, ah, uh, practicing my knife fighting skills and everything. Damn it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, each year we try to... Um, you have to grow and the conference we want to try something different. And if you're in Florida, uh, you know, like, Oh, how far away from the beach? You go 30 minutes in any direction. You're in the water. So we wanted to see something new. And uh, we never saw a B-side conference at sea before. And there's a lot of pros to it, such as the food and everything's free. The, the rooms are fairly low cost and lots of booze and you're in international water. So any type of, talks that you really could not do in the U.S., you could probably do it there. Um, so we had it set up and everything, um, and we have the different facilities, because on most cruise ships, there's lots of different rooms. It's just there's lots of theaters, rooms, et cetera, that are used for those type of events. So we had it reserved the, uh, through the agency. Um, 
as time went by, uh, they informed us like, well, you know, this room is not going to be available at the moment because they want to do some type of show or whatever. So we're going to move it to an alternative location. Like, oh, okay, sure, no problem. And then next thing you know, well, we have to move you to this other track to another alternative location. So I started asking like, okay, what are your alternative locations here? So, well, in the cruise ship, in the main floor, in the lobby area, that will set up chairs and tables there. I'm like, so everyone's walking by during the talk. They're like, yeah, but, you know, we'll have little curtains up so at least you can't see them. But, okay, I can hear them, but that's the real thing. So we're like, and they were like, one track was going to be in a hallway. Uh, one track was going to be out on the deck right by the pool. I'm like, yeah, far that's corner it. of the Lido deck by the yeah. tower turn. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like, put that on the agenda. <laughs> you can hear the toilet flush from the from the area. I'm like, no, this is not going to work here. So we decided to cancel it. But yeah, it, it's a uh, it was a good idea. It's just yeah, it just couldn't yeah. pan out with the with this cruise cruise line. And now imagine the cruise lines are like, please. Please come, please, please do something now. Please. We haven't yeah. sailed in like months. Please do something, right? Uh, well, yeah. Salmonella free. Trust me. Come on in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's an interesting angle, and it was a it was a great idea. And I know you know people were pretty hyped, and you know there's pros and cons to everything because mm-hmm. you know when you do something like that, um, you're also committing several days to it. It's not just one, but it's an awesome excuse to go, hey, I'm going on a security uh, thing. It's a couple yeah. of days, you know, uh, to, on a cruise uh, you know, <laughs> as, you're, as you're getting the company to pay for it, you know. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, there's some really cool things about that. And I, I think it was a really neat idea. But I can see where the logistics of that, and especially when the other side is just going, yeah, we're going to give you an alternate location. I mean, that's mm. that's pretty ugly. That's uh, That could go go south pretty fast, right? Javad, you've oh, been yeah. stuffed in alternate locations before, right? Yes. <laughs> Awkward <laughs> silence. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Actually, you know what? Once one year, I and I was seriously like, well, it was a serious idea on the back of a napkin, but I never like pursued it. But every year, whenever there's RSA or Black Hat, um. You know, flight, getting flights from, from London to the States is just, you have to book way in advance. They booked out really quickly. And you get on the flight and like every other seat, you see someone wearing a hacker t-shirt of some description. And so, because like, it's like London's also a hub, like a lot of flights come into Europe, uh, from Europe, they come or, or, or further afield, they'll come into London and they use it as a connection over to the States. And I really thought it'd be a great idea to charter a flight from London to RSA or Black Hat and sell it to people going to the conference and then use the flight as a semi uh, conference as well where people do their talks on the plane not sure everyone wants to hear a talk on a plane but you know or you could just have like a massive land party or something or a capture the flag who can own the pilot before yeah, i was gonna say you know <laughs> of all things trying to sell the uh, we're gonna have a hacker conference in the air on one of your airplanes to the airlines yeah. you know and chris roberts is gonna head it up um oh, you know yeah. something <laughs> I mean, what's the worst that can happen yeah, yeah, I'm thinking that would be a hard sell, but um, you know, brilliant idea. Uh, <laughs> maybe you leave that part out of the reason you're chartering yeah. it, right? Yeah, um, it is interesting though. You're right. I mean, whenever we go to these big conferences like that, you end up at these connecting airports, and you're on the flight, and you're like, "Hey, hey, hey!" And you're looking around, or you're on Twitter, and they're doing screenshots of like, uh, seriously, it had to happen to me like four rows ahead on the same. I'm like, "Hey, hey I'm on that flight too," you know. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, 
it, it's kind of funny when that happens because you know everyone kind of gets together and and you're kind of like telling your 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 neighbor in the seat like don't connect to wi-fi don't connect to wi-fi, yeah. and I, <laughs> don't connect to wifi. Uh, but, but it's free though you know? right <laughs> yeah. i usually have to pay but this time it's free <laughs> yeah good luck with that uh anyways so um yeah. Um, one last thing I, I just wanted to ask you here is if you were to give advice to somebody who's considering doing one of these, what advice would you give to them? What do you think would be kind of some of the key things um, before we run out of time here, um, but that you would give to these folks who are interested in starting, let's say, an in-person conference or a hybrid conference? Because we're going to be seeing those come back now. Well, um, first I would say make sure you have a team of folks, a minimum of three, because you, you can't do it all yourself. You're going to need people to uh, assign tasks to. And know your audience. Remember who you actually um, are looking to attract for attendance. Um, set yourself a budget. And um, also, if you have Netflix, go to Netflix and watch the movie Fire Festival. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have ever seen that before, but it's it's a train wreck. But um, it's somebody who wanted to have a big concert in the Bahamas. Uh, but if you look at it, you'll see and look at why it failed. It looks at all the same things that happens with most conferences, like, okay, fail to allocate the correct amount of time to actually uh, build it out, uh, underestimating your resources, uh, overestimating the attendance, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, watch it and see where they made a mistake at. And yeah, learn from that. But um, and also get a lot of sleep uh, because you're not going to get that much <laughs> uh, uh, as you uh, go along. And um, yeah, like I said, uh, if you ever attend any conferences, learn from what they did great and what they did wrong. Um, but, uh, one thing is I would definitely recommend is don't try to duplicate what they have there because when we want to do B-Side Tampa, we had a lot of folks who've been to DEF CON, Black Hat, Hope, Chaos, uh, Chaos Club, et cetera. Uh, and they all, let's do it here. I'm like, it's not going to work here. And, uh, big conferences are great and bad at the same time. It, it's great because you get to see a lot of people, you get to see what, uh, some of the things they have and some of the talks, et cetera. But it's bad that people try to duplicate that in like Boise, Montana. And it's like, you can't do that. Um, and also people don't consider that, you know, DEF CON, it took them 20 years to get to where they're at. This is your first year. You got to crawl before you run. You can't really plan on having like a seven day conference with like fire dancers and smoke bombs and, you know, juggling midgets, et cetera. Um, pace yourself. Um, so yeah, those are some of the things I would definitely recommend. And also, like I said, watch Fire Festival. It's a train wreck. It's funny to me, um, but it's a train wreck, but it will tell you, it will highlight you on some of the things you have to look at whenever you put on these conferences and some of the pitfalls. Yeah, yeah. So I think Ja Rule, the rapper, was one of the organizers <laughs> for that as well. That's how I remember oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, was supposed to be. Yeah, it was supposed to be super, um, like um, uh, hoity-toity, fancy, like bougie mm -hmm. sort of thing, and they ended up with like blow up mattresses and just yeah. garbage. Like it was refugees. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you know, I understand how that kind of goes down, but yeah, they really promoted that as this super high-end luxury, 
um, you know, music festival that all went to hell and ended up like the rest of the music festivals usually do <laughs> with people sleeping in the dirt and smelling really bad and, and you know, vomiting in corners or whatever. Um, so good point on that. Definitely a good point on that. Now, I, I have to say, you know, the time commitment, um, besides Tampa, just ended a couple of weeks ago, right? So you got what, eight or nine months before you start on the next one? Um, yeah, we usually start a minimum of six months out. It's yeah. right now we're actually starting now. So I figured you, you're already, you know, you got your location taken care of already and you're starting mm -hmm. to roll through that. And so yeah. one other thing I do want to point out, and I have to do this because this is my self-shaming thing is um, when you're talking about having speakers and you're talking about having people there and volunteers, it doesn't always work out. And I swear, Derek, like every time I've, I've tried to speak with you guys, something just stupid has come up, right? <laughs> um, and, and I, you know, I volunteered with you guys once or twice, but there was a couple of times where I, I started to volunteer and then stuff just went crazy. And I was, I had to step back from that. And I feel really bad because it's always like your conference that it happens, you know, and I don't know if it's because it's right in my own backyard um, and, you know, all of this other stuff going on, but like, you know, you, you got to be a little bit flexible. And this year, um, you know, it came up and I was accepted for the CFP and I was all excited. And then I saw the date and I was like, man, that's my kid's color guard finals in Dayton or in Daytona. Um, <laughs> and so I'm like, oh man, but then I saw that I could record it and provide it. And so the flexibility allowed me to go ahead and record it and then be on the QA. I had to get an extra long, uh, like a late checkout from the hotel, but I'm sitting in there on the QA, like trying to answer questions and, and you know, interacting with people from the hotel because I couldn't do it live from the hotel. It was just no way. As we're like, they're already packing the car to get out to, to leave for their, <laughs> um, you know, for their deal. But, you know, my point is we have to be flexible a little bit. And as much as I try never to do that, I've had to, you know, flake out on you guys a couple of times. And um, it's just part of doing the conference, um, especially right. I think with volunteers. Well, yeah. you can't take it personally. To avoid, for someone that tries to avoid it, you're the most flakiest person I know. Nothing brought me more joy than um, going to hack Miami with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I sat at the back of the room, and I and uh, there's like about five people, other people in the room. I think two of them were behind a pillar, so they couldn't see yeah, it. It was like a pillar you had to look around. I had my laptop sitting on the edge of like a bar stool because they didn't have any tables, and the the little projector table was barely big enough for the projector. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, but I did make it to that. Right. Yeah. We, we did a video about that trip. Uh, Javad and I did because I, I have a, a travel right? curse that has been kind of hovering over me for years now. And uh, when I took Javad to train him because he, you know, he learned everything from me. Uh, we, we ended up uh, instead of flying down to Miami, we drove down there, which took an extra seven or eight hours uh, more than it was supposed to. And then, uh, you know, this this conference was uh, I, I hate to say it. And, and I'm sorry if you're with Hack Miami, but it was <laughs> underwhelming. It, it, it just was, um, uh -huh. uh, you know, the venue was rough because like like Javad said, there it was actually in the it was kind of like two rooms kind of put together, but they were tiny. It was like the third bar out in the back corner sort of thing. And there were literally posts like be, with chairs sitting around it and like maybe 10 people or something in there. It was, it was rough. <laughs> and you know, yeah. it, it's one of these things that is, is tough from 
the presenter side and from an attendee side. I know it's no fun to be sitting there, you know, having to deal with that side of deal. Uh, but thanks for bringing that up. It's it's a deep, dark, sore subject for me, Javad. Um, well, actually, you know, I, I mentioned Jarul earlier just about the fire Festival. So he's got this ongoing beef with, I think, 50 Cent. And uh, at one time, Jarul was going to perform at a venue and 50 Cent, uh, and I love the pettiness here, he went and he bought all the the front row five rows of tickets, and so that when Jarul showed up, the the first five rows would be empty. When <laughs> 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 the lights are shining and you can't really see that far back anyway. So, oh, so I, I feel like that's what I achieved without spending any money by seeing you perform to a half empty room. In the <laughs> Well, speakers and, and performers, if you will, we're all divas, right, Derek? I mean, yeah. <laughs> we, we kind of are. I'm, I'm not going not gonna to lie. I've seen Javad go to places, and he's like, there is a brown M&M. Yeah, like trash the here? place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a, that is a whole other um, area that you have to think about is those personal relationships. Something you guys do that I really like, Derek, is you assign that speaker uh, wrangler basically yeah, the folks yeah the liaison to help the speaker understand what's expected of them and to keep track of what's going on um, as opposed to some of these conferences where they're like okay you're speaking on tuesday and you hear nothing until yeah. like tuesday morning it's like oh and make sure and make sure and make sure and you're like oh crap you know you don't know how anything's going doing those little steps like that i think are huge from the other side mm -hmm. so that we have somebody we can reach out to and go hey you know what I'm not really sure how this is going to work or something is happening that I may need something, you know who to contact. So kudos on, on that piece as well. All right. Yeah. And that happened. I spoke at a conference once and same thing happened that like you described where you get accepted, you're like excited and you don't hear anything till like the day before. And they say, Oh, you speak at 11 o'clock. I'm like, well, okay. Yeah. Do I need to bring a projector? Do I need to bring this? And so I said, okay, I'm not doing that. So we, we created our liaisons and they're your, personal point of contact with the speakers and yeah, it, they've been very positive. So it helped out. Awesome. So on that note, I think uh, we got to run because quite frankly, I have another uh, speaking yeah. session to do in about <laughs> 20 minutes or so. <laughs> so I don't want to, I don't want to blow past that one. Uh, you know. We won't let him blow past that one. We'll let him. <laughs> so, you know, we, we hate keeping him around for no reason. Derek, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for, for joining us um you can catch the jerk show on youtube or on uh, jerkshow.podbean.com if you prefer to listen just to the audio without seeing our lovely faces why do you want to do that i have no idea anyway <laughs> uh till next time stay secure my friends hey, thank you